whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. When you have a Shakespeare scholar on your podcast, you talk about Shakespeare. And that's what Charlene V. Smith and I did when she was here to talk about the original London cast recording of Man of La Mancha. We talked about Shakespeare. We talked a lot about Shakespeare. And then I took it all out, and I'm bringing it to you here. We join the conversation already in progress. Piggybacking off this idea of historical accuracy, is that something that struck you about Man of La Mancha, this this issue of it not being faithful to either source material? Did that ever come? I mean, aside from the fact that you like you paraphrase the <laughs> paraphrase it for the AP. But like, is this like, where does that click for you in this kind of thing? Uh, it's not something that concerns me at all, okay. I guess. And I and I think that is, you know, linked to my my work on Shakespeare, because, you know, there is no original, mm-hmm. you know, Shakespeare stole everything he did. He remade it. Um, but even, even with his plays, they exist in multiple forms. Mm -hmm. Um, and we don't always know why one word is in this printed text and one word is in this printed text. Um, so like this has been happening since the dawn of time. So I, I don't feel like originality or faithfulness are, are necessarily ways to judge good art. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which folio do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> that's not my second question. Well, that's one A. Well, no, that's fine. <laughs> there are, you know, there are four no folios. Com- there and... <laughs> are, right? Which folio do you prefer? I, I mean, generally the only one anyone ever talks about is the first folio. Right, or, yeah, okay. Um, Just checking. I yeah. like to think. No <laughs> now you is... know I'm a real Shakespeare. Well, because <laughs> nobody has come into this booth with armed with Shakespeare before, and I'm really excited right now. So we're going to talk about Shakespeare much, though. Okay. Well, we have like a few more minutes here. Oh, we're good. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know where to start, though, because no one ever wants to talk to me about Shakespeare. I'm a little bit... I'm oh, a little well, up. I guess we're going to have to be friends now, too. Apparently, <laughs> because like we like all the same things. So, what... I'm going to ask a stupid big question that you can't answer and hope that it leads to other questions. What do you... What is alive about Shakespeare to you? So, what I love about Shakespeare, and um, this is actually an easy question oh, okay, to answer cool. good, because good, good, I had good. to write a mission statement for my company. Oh, cool! All right. <laughs> so it's basically that. I mean, um, what what I love about Shakespeare and the other plays of his era is the the way they juxtapose incredibly beautiful language with human beings behaving awfully, okay, and and, and depraved acts mm-hmm. and incredible violence right next to this incredible poetry. Um, and, and to me, that's sort of the summation of the human experience. We've, we've created such beauty, and yet we're so cruel and so selfish. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we are both those things, I think, is, is a, an unending source of interest for me. Hmm. Okay. That's really... So what's your company? Oh, I run Brave Spirits Theater. Okay. And so, what is your mission statement? Uh, or a paraphrase. So, yeah. So we talk about um, we're sort of dedicated to Shakespeare and his contemporaries. We call their works from the era of verse and violence um, and say basically we're interested in juxtaposing uh, this incredible language with uh, these dark acts of violence. Um, so a lot of Titus. 
We haven't done ties yet. <laughs> but also, you know, to, to look at these plays as more than intellectual um, exercises and, mm-hmm. and the fact that they explore, you know, the bounds of appropriate behavior. Mm. And, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting way to put that. I Because I, it, is, it is a – I think most people who don't like Shakespeare, and I put that in quotes uh, for those of you listening at home – one of the reasons they don't is because they've never seen it staged actively. Yes, it's it's high art. Yes, because I've seen a lot of step forward and talk Shakespeare. Yes, but I've seen I've also seen a lot of Shakespeare. To be fair, that goes like that again. More air quotes tries to do something with mm-hmm. the play, and there's nothing worse than that, in my opinion. But I have seen this excellent middle ground of somebody who's like no this is this was meant to be performed so let's perform it like let's see what that right. means and let's put it up on the stage and let's do it and and see where it lands and i think that with respect to the script but not reverence it's that, it's that yes. kind of yeah it's like it's like you'd stage anything else like you'd stage an albie player you'd stage an, o- an o- O'Neill or a sondheim you you have a lot of respect for that author but you wouldn't treat it like no 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 like you have to make sure every word is heard Exactly, perfectly. I mean, some clearly. people do. Some people that's do. Not really my my. Yeah, that's kind not of my thing at all. Yeah, that's not. What is your kind of Shakespeare? Uh, what are your big ones? Dark gray. So I I sometimes joke that um that uh, we do not do family friendly Shakespeare. Okay. <laughs> um, because I like bringing out the dark side mm-hmm. and, and um really gritty. Um, and do you go looking for it, or do you are you drawn? You think to the scripts that have that? Oh, already? both. Um, definitely drawn to the scripts that have it already. Particularly, Brave Spirits does a lot of the other plays of the year that weren't written by Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and they can get even grosser and nastier. Yes, they can. Uh, yeah. Than Shakespeare, he was he was pretty tame overall. I don't know a ton, or has been tamed. We also yeah. should say I don't know a lot of Elizabethan theater, but I know enough to know. Yeah, yeah it could get pretty raw, shall we say? Yeah. So I, I mean, so I think that like to me, what's amazing about these plays is is sort of their ability to shock and stun, even though they're 400 years old, mm-hmm. and how um, how the struggles can feel so very present. I'm also drawn to complexity. I mean, this sort of gets sure. back to what we were talking about, about the happy ending, is that I like, I don't like his plays to end with a, a nice bow tie, and I prefer the endings that are a little messy. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's where you get to have really fun as artists. Um, and this rolls into my favorite Shakespeare play, which is Measure for Measure, which isn't done too often. Oh, okay. Sometimes it is. Um, it's not the rarest of the rare plays. No, but it's on the second tier, definitely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I like it because every time I go see it, it's an entirely different play. It it requires choices from the production, bec- both in terms of genre. What genre is it? Is it a straight-up comedy? Is it is it a dark comedy? Is it not funny at all? And also... If you track that play performance history, who the lead character is has shifted or who the lead character, who people thought the lead character is. So there was a while where, you know, back in the era of actors and managers, you know, they would always take on the play, the role they thought was the best. And for a while it was the Duke. Mm -hmm. And then it switched to Angelo. And then I think, you know, in more the last 50 years, the part of Isabella, of course, has, Mm -hmm. has attracted a lot of attention. Um, hmm. so you, you never know going into a production, which, which of those three characters that production is, is going to focus, gonna focus on. on. And then of course it, it has a messy ending and I love mm-hmm. that, you know, cause you have you're to good, deal yeah. with it. 
I thought you were going to say your favorite comedy was Love Labor's Lost. Love's Labor's Lost, but that's because that also has a pretty messy. It does. Finale. That's a tough play because it's his it's second so tier comedies are all pretty tough. Heavy. I think. Like you the know. comedies you see all the time, Much Ado, Midsummer Night's Dream, like the, they're pretty simple, clean, well structured, yeah. great, but they're the simple ones. The, right. the the second tier comedies don't get done, I think, for that reason that they're not they're not done because they're not as clean, so people don't do them, so people don't know them, so they're not done. It's that like right. terrible vicious cycle. All right, so Measure for Measure is your favorite comedy. What's your favorite tragedy? Oh, I just I just picked I see I wouldn't even call Measure for Measure a comedy. I just picked it as my well, favorite. Well, it does play. get classified in yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't even know what my favorite tragedy is. I mean, my favorite if we're calling them history tragedies and comedies, and comedies yeah. the histories are my favorite overall. The histories are my favorite as well. Oh, <laughs> well, it just so happens that in 2020, Ooh. Brave Spirits Theater is going to become the first American professional theater company to stage all eight of his English history plays oh in my repertory. God, are you serious? Yes. You're doing the well. I mean, people call it the War of the Roses, but that's yeah, not the quite War accurate. of the Roses. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and no American company has ever tried to do them all at once in full, you know, productions before. Over what period of time? Um, it's probably it's going to be a two season project. Um. Uh, oh, so you're not doing them in a day, which I know. No, some... no, because that's not full production. Like we're gonna. Oh, gonna I see what you mean. You're gonna do full... them and run them. Oh, yeah. I see. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh God. God bless you. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> that's so great. Because um, not even what's so funny is like when I got the full that BBC Shakespeare collection that they did. Yes. Which is really great. I mean, this is in the was it in the seventies and eighties where they yeah it they, took a while. They did all yeah it was they a very long them. time, but they did all of them. They did them in clumps, and I got really excited when I got it because I was like, oh, this is going to be like Richard II to Richard III, and it's going to be like all the same actors, and it's not. No. They split. The Henry Sixes and Richard III They are. split it in half. They do yeah. they do, or they do uh, Richard II, Henry IV, and Henry V all with the same cast, and then they take Henry VI okay. and Richard III and do that with the same cast. Right. And that's fine. Like, you can do that, obviously, because the character, there's not a lot of characters that overlap, but a couple, a couple of them do. do, and I just really wanted to see that. I, I, I get why they didn't do it, but uh, yeah. it, I mean, in the BBC project, the new one is great too. Oh, the Hall, the Hall of Crown is really nice. Yeah, I, I have so many thoughts about the Hall of Crown. Ooh, okay. We'll have to we'll have sure. to talk on that sometime. Sure. But the BBC was interesting because they were specifically um, determined to give like every play a different director. Yeah. Except that the Henry VI to Richard III was all directed by one person, and it was a woman. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Which is why the treatment of Margaret is so good. She comes back at the end of Richard yeah. III and is crawling over the dead bodies, and you're like, "Yes!" Which is now pretty much the way it's done. I think the way, like the way. Well, I... when people remember Margaret. <laughs> well, the, but that's a yes. Because I've seen it. Yeah, that that sort of thing is now. But it feels right when when you are Did going the... through the whole cycle and you're living with Margaret. Right. She needs to come. That's back. true. Yeah, because she's a much bigger part in the whole. Like, if you yeah. look at all four, yes. instead of just. Richard the Third, because I'm trying to remember if uh, Ian McKellen's. Oh, she's not in Ian. McKellen's. She's not in Ian McKellen. No, okay, so that's here, why I can remember trivia: her. the role of Margaret does not. The only film versions of Richard the Third that Margaret appears in are the ones that were filmed as part of a larger cycle. So any individual mm-hmm. film of Richard the Third cut excises Margaret entirely. Yeah. Oh yeah, she disappeared from the stage for um, hundreds of years because um, in. Uh, when Collie Sibber did his adaptation of Richard III, he cut her out, and then that became the version that 
everyone did for mm-hmm. about 200 years um, until oh, we God. sort of had this movement to get back to the original First Shakespeare. Folio. Yeah. Um, but even so, his influence is still felt like if you watch the Laurence Olivier Richard III, there are lines from Colley Sibber's version that make it into that film that are not from Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah, and there's no Margaret in Olivier's. I didn't know there was no Margaret in so. Olivier's, yeah. So she, um, and of course the Henry VI hmm. plays are so rarely performed, but Richard III right. performed a lot, particularly in America. Right. But, um, you know, for at least 200 years, almost every production of Richard III, there was no Margaret. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. She has that amazing scene at the beginning that I just, I find... <laughs> I mean, to me, yeah. it's almost the whole show is the haunt of the past is the like, is that well, you're like... you're very smart. Clearly. OK, thank you. <laughs> I, I feel... Well, no, I got introduced. Is, yeah. If you don't know the cycle and you're just reading that play, I think people make the mistake of thinking she has nothing to do with the plot. No, but she's the connective tissue. Yeah, well, she if, is. if you view them as four shows, she's the connective tissue between all, among all yeah. four. But she is the thing that like. I mean, like you said, like when they did the Hollow Crown, she's at the end. She's stand, surrounded yes. by the bodies. Like that. That's how that finishes. And like she is, she's the only connection in Richard the Third throughout the whole thing to the the. Um, oh crap! The, what's the other family? The Yorks and the the uh, the Plantagenets. The, yes, she's yeah. the only connection to Henry Sixth yes. family, who's in the main body of the show. Obviously, Henry the Seventh comes up at the end, but like it isn't. It, 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 she's she's the callback, and it's this great ghost who's living among them, who's the like reminder of their sins. That yes, like, yes. she is alive, and she has well, to remain alive. And in everything the castle. she says comes true, and she's yeah. the she's the only person that that successfully stands up to Richard. I mean, you could make an argument for Elizabeth in that that final the second wooing scene. Um, right, but arguably that strength may even come through her interaction with Margaret. But like Margaret doesn't put up with any of Richard's crap from the beginning. Like, right. she is the one person that goes neck to and neck with him. And so I think when you cut her out, you lose that, that adversarial role that she plays. And Richard is sort of, then there's nothing really fighting Richard. Well, and it's this interesting thing of, like, obviously drama from the period having to have, like, it's it's like Fortinbras in, in Hamlet. Like, you can't have an empty crown. You can't have an empty throne. Like, the throne right. has to be <laughs> secure or the people might think they could govern themselves. But Margaret's presence is obviously Richard dies, Henry becomes king at the end of, of that play in implication and in history. But Margaret is this really fascinating to me remnant of that of that idea of the like the through line of royalty. Sure. Because it's so fascinating to me that they can't kill her. Like she just yes. they have to let her walk around and be crazy and they have to take it because of the rules of their society. Like, there's not. Well, it, it allows them to all... dispose, depose a ruler and or have a civil war. It allows them to do all these terribly weird, awful, violent things, but they can't get rid of Margaret. Well, I think they're all too afraid of her, too. Yeah. You know, like, oh, they, someone could just stick a knife in her, but no one does. Then no one's going to do it. They right. can't do it. No, you know? it's, oh, and even man. Shakespeare, I like to imagine that Shakespeare was very taken with her because historically, Margaret was back in France by the time the events right. of Richard III came around. Right. Um, but he kept her around yeah. for some reason, and I and I like because I love Margaret of Anjou. I I like to believe that Shakespeare was very captivated with her as well. Well, I mean, clearly, he th- if she wasn't there historically, like she's there for a reason. Yeah, and it's not this this 
convention like Fortinbras where like because she doesn't ascend the throne at the end. Obviously, right. Henry does that. So that's taken care of. She's there to do something else. Right. And, and what is that? I'm pretty sure she doesn't appear in the other Richard III plays of the era because mm-hmm. there are a couple others and I don't think she's a part of them. I mean, it's just such a fascinating cycle. I mean, it's an amazing cycle of shows. I mean, obviously, from yes. Richard II to Richard III and the the three Henrys in between. Um I just realized it doesn't sound quite as cool when you say from Richard II to Richard III. Like that doesn't sound really good. It sounds pretty short. (laughs) There are are lots of kings intermittently. We go from Richard – I could say from Richard II to Henry VII. Actually, Henry VIII technically if you wanted to put that show in there too. Um, Yeah, it's – yeah. I I, I came at – I will confess. I came at Richard III through Al Pacino's film Looking for Richard. Have you ever seen that? And – so my approach to it, which obviously they spend a lot of time on Margaret and, in that show yeah. and, and in that movie and in talking about her. And I can't remember the actress they get to play her, but she's excellent. And they kind of address that whole issue. So that's how I came to Richard. And then from Richard came to the other shows when I when he said, like, oh, it's this end of this whole series of connected plays. I went, oh, that's interesting. And then you go backwards and you kind of go, wow, this is really interesting. Um, and how Richard II doesn't get enough respect and we can go on with all those things. But it is a... Yeah, I mean it's 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 a captivating series. It's an amazing collection, obviously, and it it justifies an existence. And he wrote all these other shows too that yes. are really great. So, you know, <laughs> he's pretty good that Shakespeare yeah, guy. Yeah, you know, I guess like whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not an anti-Stratfordianism person either. So, good. I got well. I got who is it? I was listening to. There's somebody. Oh, um. Derek Jacobi. Yeah. There's there's a Broke handful. Broke my heart. Oh, Broke Derek Jacobi, Mark Rylance, and Kristen Linklater. Oh, Mark like, Rylance is too? Oh, totally. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a shame. I mean, it kind of makes sense with him. He's, he's you know, Mark Rylance is a character. He is. <laughs> he absolutely is. Um, but yeah, when, when people in the theater are anti-Stratfordians, it's so painful. Mm-hmm. Because if we can't believe in genius, right. who else will? Well, and it's classism. Oh, totally. In a really real way. Right. I think culturally it's about defining ourselves too. Right. But you like know, I think it says something about people who who it matters so much to them to make Shakespeare a member of the aristocracy. Right. And educated. And it doesn't And yeah. it, it doesn't line up with historical fact cuz just I mean there's a lot to say, but let's just say right now the most popular candidate is the Earl of Oxford and he yeah. died before all the plays were written. Right. So um, that kind of hurts. A and also bit. the authorship question is a relatively modern phenomenon. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> like it is a new thing to be questioned. Yeah. What's well, the kind of the hip academic thing to do to it but like oh, I co- it's, no it's not academic not anymore well, it's not academic <laughs> but it is but there are several academics who subscribe to this belief structure mm-hmm. i mean like i would to, question their standing I, their veracity yes absolutely <laughs> the original cast is produced and edited by me patrick flynn the original cast is on twitter facebook and instagram at original cast pod you can follow me on twitter at unknown penguin rate and review us on apple Podcasts from the convenience of your iphone and or check out the original cast on stitcher if that's how you get down my thanks to charlene v smith for coming down and talking Talking to me, I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. I've got you to leave.